Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. In Luke 14, it starts by saying, One Sabbath. And so Luke is not being specific as to where or when this miracle occurred. Jesus has been moving toward Jerusalem and toward the final conflict with the religious leaders and eventually the cross. And while doing that, he moves through various small villages and cities. And if he's there on a Saturday, he will go to the Sabbath. He will go to the synagogue for a Sabbath day celebration, which is his practice, which is the law. And so Jesus, being obedient of the law, will go to a meeting at the synagogue every Saturday. And so this is one such Saturday. And Jesus goes to the synagogue. That meeting is not uh, detailed here, but we know that he went because Jesus always went on Saturday. And it says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. And so what apparently happened, what we can deduce from this, is that Jesus went to a Sabbath celebration. He went to a Sabbath service on a Saturday morning. And during that service, where he may have taught or maybe not, uh, this ruler of the Pharisees approached him and said, Hey, Jesus, if you don't have any plans, come on over to my house for Sabbath dinner, for Saturday afternoon dinner. And Jesus said, Okay. And so he went. And so this was kind of a practice uh, back in the day. It's even a practice today that if there are uh, people who are new to the church, it's quite possible that someone here would say, hey, let's come on over for Sunday dinner or something like that. It was a very uh, n- nice way of making friends, as it were. And so when you look at this and you see a Pharisee and it says they were watching him carefully, you kind of go, hey, wait a minute. What are this guy's motives? And Logically looking at this, he probably had one of three motives. First of all, he was just a real friendly guy who saw that Jesus had no place to go and invited him over for just a nice friendly lunch. That's probably not the way it happened because this is a Pharisee and that's Jesus. And up to this point, Jesus and the Pharisees were in conflict Second thing is he liked Jesus' notoriety and fame and the Pharisees being ambitious for self-advancement. He would be very interested in inviting Jesus over because he knew crowds would attend Jesus and he could be 
um, have his reputation increase as being a friend of Jesus, very similar to uh, think of whoever's famous today. The only person I could think of was Tom Cruise. Let's say Tom Cruise comes to church and you invite him to your house and he goes and people would go, wow, that person knows Tom Cruise. And your reputation would increase because you knew somebody famous, because you knew somebody who was connected, you also get connected. And this is quite possibly what happened. But what probably happened, and it could have been this and other things, is that this whole meal was a setup. This was an attempt to trap Jesus, to get Jesus to do something that would allow the Pharisees and the chief priests to accuse him of a sin. And if Jesus is successfully accused of a sin, even while he walked the earth, then they could discredit his ministry. They could say, well, he is a, by association, he is a sinner. Therefore, the words that he says are not true. We also have to look at the idea of a ruler of the Pharisees. What does ruler of the Pharisees mean? Uh, Pharisees did not have ranks. And so the idea of this Pharisee being above this other one or this one being a ruler was not normal. It wasn't normal operation for the Pharisees. And so we look at this and possibilities are that he was also a ruler of the synagogue. As we've talked before, the ruler of the synagogue was a very powerful, authoritative, influential church manager or church administrator back then for the synagogue. He could have had that, and having that extra authority, people just called him ruler of the Pharisees. Another possibility is he was older. The older a Pharisee got, if they lived long enough to be 60, 65, 70 back then when people did not live that long, that would be considered a, an age of great wisdom. And so that person would be looked to as a ruler even though they did not have a rank. Someone like Nicodemus. When Nicodemus went in John 3 to meet with Jesus in the middle of the night, Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. So he had standing, perhaps by knowledge, perhaps by age, in the same way this person has some standing amongst the Pharisees. One question you may ask then is, well, what's a Pharisee and how did this person become a Pharisee? Pharisees arose during the intertestamental period, the book of Malachi ends the Old Testament and Jesus, uh, God is not very happy with the Jewish people. The Jewish people had returned from Babylon in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They had rebuilt a portion of the temple. They had rebuilt the wall, but then they got self-centered and they got ambitious and they began messing around with the tithes and the offerings and the operation of the temple. And so God comes to them and says, I'm against you in the book of Malachi. And then the Old Testament ends with the Jewish people in Israel having returned from Babylon 
but God not being very pleased with them. And so as things occurred during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, uh, this group of middle-class lay people said, well, God's not happy with us. We can look. It's right there in Malachi. They did have the Old Testament. They could read it. They could see what happened. God's not very happy with us, therefore we need to stand up and fly right. We need to be uh, righteous people so that God will not sweep down again with another uh, country, perhaps Greek at that time, and take all the Jewish people into captivity for another 70 years or longer. They use this threat against the people saying, this is what God is going to do. He's going to come and take us away again. So we have to uh, behave properly and righteously. And they were some of the first people to codify in a list all of the uh, laws in the Old Testament. If you read through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, there are things to do and not to do. God is just giving a few here and a few there and a few here uh, through Moses and through Joshua and through others. And the Pharisees during the intertestamental period said, well, we need to put this in a list. We need to put this in a booklet so that everybody can just pull it out and say, is this good or bad? Should I do this or not do this? And they came up with 613. 613 laws, and they, that is proven. Uh, modern scholars have gone back and found them all. So there are 613 things that God told the Jewish people to either do or not do, to either be commission or omission. And they said, okay, so that's a good list, but some things aren't very specific. And so they begin to add on top of it and add on top of it. And they first added a written commentary. Then they added an oral tradition until you had not 613, but upwards of 3,200 laws that you had to understand and follow. And no human being could do that. No human being could know all those things. A 613 list, that's kind of long, but a 3,000 command list, that's really long. And so they begin to put a weight. Jesus said that they put a burden on the people. And their problem or system that the Pharisees had is that they were very willing to tell you how to live, but they wouldn't live that way. They would do whatever they want, but as long as you were obedient then Israel would be safe. According to historians, when Jesus walked the earth, there were about 6,000 Pharisees. And they were spread out. They were not paid. They were not uh, involved in, in leadership of the synagogue. They were just common middle-class layman folk who were morality police, who were righteousness police and they would go around nosily looking at people and telling them if they were obedient or not. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, 
they feel put upon. They are being told they're wrong. They are being told that they are putting an excessive burden on the people. And the Pharisees had a good system where they became very rich on the offerings of people. People would actually pay the money to pray for them and things of this nature. So they had a system of ambition. They had a system of self-service. And it was making them very rich and very powerful amongst the people. And so you have one of the more powerful Pharisees, called a ruler of the Pharisees, invites Jesus over for a Sabbath lunch. And it says that they're watching him very carefully. And what are they watching him to do? It starts in verse 2, and behold. Now the word and behold means that something just appeared. Voila, abracadabra. You know, it's one of those uh, words in the Old Testament and the New Testament, which means out of nothing this thing appeared. And so this person with dropsy is just there. And <clears throat> Jesus can, I mean, Jesus knows this is a setup. Jesus knew back when the Pharisee invited him what was going to happen. He knew these things, but he goes anyway. And why did he go? We'll look at that in a second. But this person with dropsy, and dropsy is a uh, disease, uh, we call it edema. Today, you have uh, fluid gathers in your extremities. So your arms and your legs fill with water, basically, and they, get, and they swell, and they make the joints ache. And uh, I've known people over the years in this church who have had edema before they passed away. And it is a, it is a difficult disease because it isn't really a disease. It's more of a symptom. You get edema, you get collection of fluid in your arms and legs when you have heart problems or lung problems or kidney disease, or liver disease. These diseases is, can cause your body to react in such a way as to have fluid gather in your extremities. And not only is it painful for your joints and the stretching of the skin, it also makes you very thirsty because all of the water is being pulled out of your blood to collect in these places in your body. And so you become very thirsty, you become very dehydrated because your water, your, the water in your body is not going through the system like it is supposed to. It is collecting in your hands, for example, and causing them to swell. And so it's very uncomfortable, it's very unhealthy. A person back in Jesus' day who had edema for any period of time would eventually die of dehydration or heart disease, or liver disease, or something of this nature. And so, this person is pulled in, okay? The Pharisees clearly knew who this person was and was able to get them into the house. Now, back in the time of Jesus, and even before that, and even today, there is the belief that if you have a great disease like edema, if you have a great problem physically, 
that is because of some sin in your life. That is because of God's punishment, because you have some sin or difficulty in your life. And back then, they actually believed that this person's sin was so great that God could not wait until the afterlife to judge them. God had to judge them here and now and give them this disease of edema. And so this person was understood to be cursed by God. And so for the Pharisee to bring him into his house, the Pharisee is taking a great risk. Because if this person committed a great sin in the Pharisee's house, then the Pharisee would be defiled for eight days, which means they were defiled on this Sabbath, they would miss the next Sabbath. They would not be allowed to go to the synagogue until the time had passed for the priest to check them out. And so not knowing how diseases like this work, not knowing the root cause, but believing it is a judgment by God, they were playing a dangerous game because they might defile themselves, but if they could trap Jesus, all the better. And so in verse 3, Jesus sees this man, he understands what they're trying to do, and he responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Now the lawyers are not criminal lawyers, they are Bible lawyers. They are people who debate these thousands of laws that the Pharisees had come up with. And he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now if you've looked at previous miracles... Jesus just heals on the Sabbath and then they come against him and say, you know, there are six days of the week you can come and be healed. You don't have to come on Saturday. And they tell him you are not allowed to heal on Saturday. And so Jesus turns it around and he asks them the question, can I heal this person on a Sabbath or not? And it says, they remained silent. And you may wonder, why did they remain silent? Well, consider how they could have answered. There are two answers to this, yes and no. Okay, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no. Now, if the Pharisees said, no, you cannot heal on the Sabbath, then Jesus might have said, okay, see ya, and left. Okay, in their thinking, that he might just he not might not go through with the setup. And so he if they would have said yes, then all of their past arguments, all of their past accusations would be gone. They would be contradicting themselves. And so they can't say yes or no because of their political position, because of their standing in the community, they can't answer truthfully. And so Jesus waits a period of time. We don't know how long, but they do not answer. Then it says, he took him. And the word for took him means grabbed him firmly. So this person who is uh, cursed by God, this person who is seen as really having an issue with God's punishment on him, Jesus grabs him 
tightly by the arms to, to show an acceptance, to show that Jesus doesn't fear this person, Jesus doesn't fear this disease. And then it says he healed him and sent him away. Now, healing the collection of water in the joints is, is one thing, but there is an underlying disease, the root cause. Jesus knows what the root cause is, and he was able to heal the root cause, whether it be lungs or a kidney or whatever the problem is, and in doing so, accelerate the healing. If you have edema today and the doctors figure out that it's your liver, and the doctors go in and fix your liver, it may be many weeks or months for the water to dissipate from your joints as your body tries to get into equilibrium again. Jesus accelerates all that and does a full and complete root cause and symptom healing so that this person has no sign of water collection in their joints. He has no sign of ever having been sick in this way. And then he sends him away because Jesus wants to lecture the Pharisees. And he says to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And so Jesus is saying, if you have somebody uh, by son, it means young child. It doesn't mean a 21-year-old or something like that. It means somebody who uh, may not know better to play, than play around a well. Or an ox, which is a mindless beast, one of these falls into the well through no fault of their own. Don't you immediately drop everything and go and lower a rope or lower something to get these beings out of the well. And that is built into the law. If you look at the 613 or the thousands of editions, it is actually built into the law to say if somebody's life is in danger, if somebody has fallen into a well, if somebody is in a burning house or something of this nature, you can do extraordinary work on the Sabbath to save their life. Now, the Pharisees may say, well, this person with edema, they can be healed tomorrow, but with a disease like this, you don't know. You don't know how long they will last. You do not know the root cause. You do not know... If it's a heart disease, if they're in the middle of a heart attack or something of this nature, you do not know. Jesus does, but the Pharisees don't know. If they wait until Sunday, the next day, it's possible this person will not make it through the night and they will die. And the Pharisees, oh, well, I guessed wrong. But Jesus knows, and Jesus knows that when somebody is burdened by a disease like this, when somebody is burdened like a problem like this, it is important to show compassion and to show love and to show healing immediately, to show the, the care of God on these people. And then Jesus, for the rest of uh, chapter 14 
takes the opportunity to give uh, parables or lectures against the self-serving and the self-advancement of the Pharisees. And the first parable is that about when you're invited, don't take the best seat. Don't get there early so you can sit in the front row. Don't get there in such a way that you will always be next to the host. The plan during these sorts of, of dinners that were given is that if you were next to the host, you actually had the, the ear of the ruler of the Pharisees. You actually had the connection with this um, connected person. So it may advance your career or you may get some good investment information, you may, it's best to be near those who are in the know, which was usually the host at that time, uh, to get the information. And Jesus is saying, nah, when you go to a dinner like this, you don't sit next to the host because if a better friend of his, if somebody who is more connected than you comes, they will say, move, and move you out and put the other person in. They say, Jesus says, sit at the lowest place. And then when they see that you're okay guy, and you're sitting there at the bottom of the list, they will move you up, and you will feel better, and people see it and be impressed, and things of this nature. And then the point of chapter 14 it says, for everyone who exalts himself, God's going to humble you. But if you humble yourself, God is going to exalt you. If you spend your whole life advancing yourself so that you have a name, so that you have a reputation, so that you have a bank account, nobody is going to see if God blesses you. Not that God cannot bless, but if you're doing all this stuff yourself and people see it, if God is involved in blessing you, nobody is going to notice it and God will not do anything that glorifies somebody else. And so he's saying if you humble yourself, as the song says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then he will lift you up if there is distance between what God wants to do and where you're at, he has no problem lifting you up, exalting you to exalt him. Then Jesus tells the story of a dinner, and he says when you give a dinner, don't go invite rich people who can pay you back. He says go invite the blind and the crippled and the lame and the poor. And that way, God will be able to bless you if you try to make your own little ambitious circle of I'll invite you to my dinner if you invite me to your dinner and things of this nature. Then he's saying that, yeah, sure, God can work in that, but why would God work in that? Why would God advance you if you're already advancing yourself if we do things that are giving and humbling and do not expand our name on earth, then it's a position for God to come in and lift us up. 
then he tells a story of another dinner where the people are invited, but somebody says when they go and say the dinner's ready, they say, no, 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 I've just bought some oxen and I have to use them out, or just got married and I have to visit my wife, or I just did this and I have to be excused. And Jesus is saying all those people will be kicked out and that God is going to invite to this dinner all the crippled and the blind and the lame and the poor because those who were invited, i.e. the Pharisees and the lawyers and the Jewish people, were rejected because they wanted God to operate their way. They wanted God to operate in a way that advanced themselves. And God is saying, I will take the humble, I will take the poor, I will take those who do not advance themselves. And then great, um, great uh, crowds in verse 25, and then Jesus talks about discipleship, and then he starts talking other parables in Luke 15. But the whole of Luke 14 starts with the Pharisees wanting to set Jesus up and wanting to uh, prove something about Jesus and advance themselves above Jesus, and Jesus turns the tables on them and gives us the secret to the kingdom of God, which is for verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted by God. If I spend my whole time making a name for myself, God's going to knock me down. But if I spend my whole day making a name for God and humbly living before God, then God will, in his future kingdom, lift you up. God is not impressed with our reputation, with our fame, with our wealth, with our big house, with our corner office, with our titles, with our positions. God is more interested in how we serve one another, how we love one another, how we give of ourselves to one another, and how we humbly serve Him. And those who humbly serve Him in this life will be lifted up in the life to come. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for this. We praise you for this understanding that you are seeking those who are humbly coming to you, that I have nothing to offer you, that I have nothing to impress you, that I have nothing to earn my place in your kingdom, but I come with empty hands and nothing and only through the blood of Christ. And it is through this humble acceptance of the blood of Christ that you will lift us up. Lord, we praise you for this and ask your blessing upon the remainder of the day. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.